Good morning, everyone. My name is Meredith Jaffe, and on behalf of Newcastle Writers Festival, welcome to our In Conversation with um, Smells Like Teen Spirit with Sarah McDonald and Kathy Wilcox. Seems like a very appropriate conversation for us to be having today with the kids all currently working remotely, parents working remotely, and if you're anything like me, you're desperately socially isolating from the teens right now. Before I introduce Sarah and Kathy formally, I'd like to take this opportunity to say that even though we are in a virtual festival format, we would love everyone to be um, to be a part of the festival and share on their social media. The hashtag for this year is NWF Stories for You. That's NWF Stories for You. So stare on, share on your socials so that we can kind of reach as large an audience as possible. At the end of the session, you'll see a link that will take you through to McLean's Booksellers where you can buy the fabulous book that we're talking about today. So you're having a teenager. Um, and you can also, you will see a donate button at the end of the session. Now, these sessions are free, but clearly writers' festivals are struggling to maintain a presence in a very fluid environment. So if you are inclined, a donation would be fantastic. And the link will take you through to the Newcastle Writers' Festival website. Now, let's start with our introductions. Sarah McDonald is an ABC journalist. I think you should wave, Sarah, so we can bring you up on the screen. Is an ABC journalist. <laughs> and author of the international bestseller, Holy Cow. Sarah co-hosts a storytelling event and comedy podcast, The Full Catastrophe, with Rebecca Huntley. She is the parent of two terrific teens. She has to say that. They're right there in the house, both of whom would declare this book fully sick, but they have refused to read it. My other guest is Kathy Wilcox. Yes. They could walk past any moment. They so they could, might and I want, if out. they do, they have to eye roll. That's my only stipulation for breaking yeah. into the session. Okay. Okay. Kathy and Wilcox. you can hear Kathy's dog already as well. Oh, that's yes, right. Yeah. The cat's joined me, the dog's joined. It's a fluid thing. Kathy is a cartoonist for the Sydney Morning Herald and the Age, and she's been drawing them for, the, for them for like since 1989, which is an incredible body of work, as well as illustrating numerous children's books and collecting children's book council commendations for her work and three Walkley Awards along the way. She is a mother of two children who have almost made it through the teenage years. I think, you know, my undying congratulations on that, Kathy. And she does have an eternally childlike dog who has joined us for the conversation. Welcome, Sarah Yay. and Kathy. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for having us. <laughs> first things first, of course, what prompted you to come up with the concept of, a, of an A to Z of adolescence? Well, we there was lots of reasons. It kind of came together, but Kathy had teenagers and so she was, you know, not having anyone show her unbridled passion and joy when she got home. And so I suggested she needed someone to talk to, so she got a dog. So we would go on dog walks together and we would talk about teenage life. And there's Tilly now. And um, so she got her dog. We started going for walks and we just were talking about teenagers a lot. And then I got approached to do a book about the motherload and kids. And I said, you know what? I love toddlers, I love babies, I'm a baby sniffer, but I te find teenagers just so much more infinitely fascinating and that's where we're at right now. So that's kind of how it happened um, and and really we, we didn't envisage how the world would change for teenagers and for all of yeah. us when we were writing it. 
as well as the fact that on, on all of our dog dog walks, they, they would throw up, you know, every day would throw up a new a new issue for discussion, whether, you know, we, our, our Sarah's, uh, Sarah's daughter and my son are only about a year apart and they'd be, they were in in uh, neighbouring schools, and so there'd be a, a little bit of intersection in in what was going on in her school and and our school and so forth. We'd hear the we'd hear the gossip or we'd hear the stories, and and we would just think sometimes that this this was um, a, a world of of mystery in some ways that needed that that could do with a bit of decoding and understanding. I just want to uh, start by setting the benchmarks for what we define as uh, successful parenting of teens. I recall a few years ago a lady in a bookstore, funnily enough, saying to me that um, that her definition of raising successful kids to the age of 19 was that if you hadn't had the coughs knock on your door at 3am, then you've done a good job. Um, Is that far too high, too low? I mean, how do you define successful parenting of this difficult transition to adulthood? Look, I think that's a pretty good good one, actually. I mean, some people just say, you know, alive and not in jail. uh, I, I had, had learned to change your change your kind of standards and your expectations, and that's part of mm-hmm. what having a teenager is. But your own definition of success is so personal. What did you What do you reckon, Kat? Uh, you know, abs- absolutely. You, you're uh, you're you're employing adaptive management the whole way along, and and there can be all kinds of assumptions that you're making in your own little world. I remember we were going through a bit of a difficult time, but I ran into a. Uh, ran into a friend from mother's group and I hadn't seen her, you know, my child was about 17 and, and so and so therefore was hers because they'd been babies together but we hadn't seen each other for about 15 years and so we were sort of saying, so how's your little kid going? And she was at that point saying, we've had six months without him being picked up by the police so things are going really well. So in her world that was things improving and whatever it was that we were going through at the time was suddenly cast into into a, into a completely different perspective from the fact that um, I didn't need to be, you know, maybe I didn't need to be worried that much about the social problems that, that were happening then. But I think the thing is that everybody has has their, their, their cross to bear, as it were. Everybody has their... their things that go on and they can be big and small and they can be they can be macro and they can be micro but all of it requires a bit of understanding and management and and uh and uh you know a bit of maybe strategy to um to get you through mm-hmm. deep wells yeah. of compassion <laughs> <laughs> What's that? absolutely so <laughs> compassion deep- and yeah, compassion and self-compassion as well. Yes, and yes. I do suggest you avoid those other parents. And now I guess there's no school sport. You won't be standing on the sidelines hearing yeah. about how Johnny won debating and then yes. Freddie's going to be in the Olympics for sailing and all that kind of stuff and those parents that people just go, oh, and start hyperventilating. Um, perhaps that's yeah. one good thing out of this. We've just got to compare ourselves to what we, you know, see as successful. And I think that that is just being all alone and with each mm. other in this time and kind of, you know, having moments together that are okay and that everybody's okay really. Like this I think will change our definitions of success because it's um, a huge and talk- change for them. Adaption is going to be big. Yes, yes. Although in some ways I think they're better adapted than us as adults. I mean my kids are loving online learning as a new form because I'm sure it gives them an excuse to really be on Spotify or TikTok or something else as they quickly yeah. flick the screen when mum walks past to back to geography. Is there a defining <laughs> moment 
when do you think there is a defining moment when your child your darling child that beautiful little creature that you raised suddenly switches into puberty and and if so what do you think it's sort of the key markers of suddenly becoming a teenager Oh, look, I think for a lot of people, they often say it's the first eye roll. It's the first, you know, which can come at a tween. It can come earlier than teen. Mm-hmm. So it can be the first eye roll. It can be that first day where you give them a hug and they do that. Yes. It can be that moment you wake up where I had with my son where he'd go to bed smaller than me and then he woke up one morning taller than me because he'd just grow that much overnight. Yes. Yes. So I think there's there's often not one moment, it's like anything, there's just lots of incremental ones or it's the first grunt, the first monosyllabic mm. grunt mm. or the first I hate you um, mm. or the first you don't understand. I mean, there's lots of them, isn't it? Everyone probably take a pick. We could have like a board and you could just sort of do lotto of any of them, I reckon. Pin, just yeah. a pinch of setup. Kathy, I, I was curious. Yeah, go. I was going to say I would add to that the the you know, beyond the eye rolls and all that sort of thing. I, I didn't suffer too hev- heavily from, from those things. Um, but, uh, but also the, uh, the, the, the actual pleasure of being able to have um, one you know, on the level discussions with your kids that you don't have, that you suddenly realise that you were having a, a pretty much adult discussion on, on an issue and they were understanding things from a, from a, from a more, not, not absolutely grown up point of view, but, but you didn't have to sort of, temper your language or your or your or your concepts too much because they could be understanding things from a from a more grown up point of view and I think that was a that was a point of of uh, of, of teenage you know or becoming becoming adolescence that I actually really enjoyed and and the sense mm. of humor as well when the sense of humor just sort of flourished yeah. and uh, and do you find that now that you're almost through the other side, Kathy, what are you finding are the key markers for them finishing this, you know, this terrible period where they've been mired in the turbulent years of hormones and angst? What, um, well, I mean, you know, the, the parenting is ongoing in, in, uh, in a lot of ways and there are some, some things, um, you know, my, my daughter who's 22 uh, sort of still, still needs me for, for, you know, social dilemmas and things like that. But, but uh, I guess the, the, the noticeable thing has been for my son, for example, to emerge through the black and white time. The black and white time being the time in which morality was divided into, the, the world is divided into the good people and bad people and, and, and the good people are, are, are fabulous and they're heroes and the bad people are to be condemned and they really shouldn't, there shouldn't actually be a place for them in the world and why can't they all be locked away in a jail and all that sort of thing. And, and, and now to find a, a growing appreciation that life is complex, that people are complex, that you, that you need to cut people slack and that's been something that's been an ongoing uh, yeah. a thing I've urged urged for a long, long time, and it's a it's a fine thing to see them coming through it and, yeah. and reflecting on their own uh, judgment in the past. And we have got black and white thinking in here, actually, because it's one yes. of the hallmarks yeah. of the sort of developing brain and all that kind of stuff. But let's also remember that a lot of adults don't get beyond that stage of oh, development. Okay. So when your child does, that is just like brilliant that is an amazing adult because a lot of adults don't get it and we do we do want to point out I think right from the clearly from the beginning that we love this generation of teenagers they Mm. are just wonderful they're awesome we have such great and profound respect and deep wells of admiration and love for them because they're great they're just so astute and aware and intelligent and creative and amazing 
And sure, they can be tricky to live with, but we have great faith in them. So we want to say that right from the beginning. This is you not just a, answered a my very next question. <laughs> so welcome, yeah. Sarah. Um, but I think we still need to talk about those, you know, ubiquitous sides of the teenage years, that, yeah. you know, part, always funny in hindsight, perhaps never funny when you're going through it, and that's sex and drugs and rock and roll. Um, an area that seems to have changed in my lifetime of parenting teens, my eldest is actually now 29, so I've been doing this a while um, hence the grey hair. Um, <laughs> uh, when we used to talk We're all about going to have grey hair at the end of this, don't worry. <laughs> That's right. When we used to talk about sex and drugs and rock and roll, we meant the act in the back of the panel van. Now when I talk to my teens, I'm talking about the gender of their my children and their and their uh, cohort at school and sexual orientation has become a complete minefield for the unsuspecting parents. Um, you know, we've gone from having a he/she world to a whole lot of other pronouns and definitions. What's happening that with that with teens now? Why why are we going through that now? Do you think? I I think uh, for one thing the uh, the the dam burst open. I think once kids had a, a, a vocabulary, a lexicon to describe these things, that that suddenly became a thing which, which, which explained a lot of confusion for a lot of kids. That, so, so, you know, when, when people kind of uh, fret about the idea that it's, that it's, that it's catching and that, that just, you know, the, the mere fact of, of talking about all this, all this um, variant, variant sexuality and gender is, is, is the cause of it, of it all. I don't think at all that it's the cause. I think it's, I think it's the fact that it has become, uh, it's now recognised and it's a thing which, which previously maybe people would just uh, be, be locked away in their own confusion about what, who, how they didn't fit in and how they didn't feel normal around other people and, and, and kind of having to just put up with, just put up with not, not belonging. Um, and um, you know we've we've had to navigate a bit of this this stuff in in our lives. And what has been what is really interesting to see is is how how the teenagers themselves, broadly speaking, um, are, are so much quicker to adapt to it all than than we are. You know they kind of go, okay, yeah, all right, that's that's that person's pronoun, no no problem, and they see it. Where we might agonise over, oh, but how am I going to get used to saying this name or that 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 word? They go, you know, hey, look, you know, how how hard can it be? You know, just make an effort, and um, and so they're the ones who are sort of bringing us along sometimes on this on this uh, on this difficult ride. Um, and uh, and then on the other hand, I've had the experience of 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 uh, my parents' generation or my mother at least. While while being conservative in terms of if she would if she would be asked if she felt something you know some gender variance was 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 normal or acceptable or or all the rest of it she might have said theoretically no but but when it comes down to the basic principle of of life and and parenting she'd say well you you, you love your child whoever they are yeah. and um and and so applying that 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 principle of love and acceptance to these particular kids who are going through what they're going through, you you have to end up concluding that uh, who am I to who am I to to say that that's not the right way of being and and maybe I just have to go with this. Uh, you know, it wasn't what was usually happening happening around my 
my childhood, but then I don't know what was in the hearts and minds of people in my childhood that I that I, that I rubbed along with. And so, um, you know, I think there's I think there's a lot of change, but I think that it's actually the young people who are helping us deal with that change. Yeah, yeah. and it's been great actually when we've been doing. Um, when we had been doing events for the book, there was a lot of grandparents coming to the room because I think they show a great willingness to bridge that generational gap because in some ways it's smaller than that. But this is one area where it's than ever and that understanding and I think that that's been really fascinating. I think Cathy's right. It's like in the, in the, now because of they live in such a non-world and because of social media, they reach across countries, they reach borders, they're a borderless generation <laughs> until now and all the borders have been shut. So that means that, that if your child has never found a peer group or never found people who understand <laughs> that going through something, surely they can um, start doing that online. And uh, that's her noisiest child, by the way. Um, and so they're, they're doing, are finding their people. And a lot of parents who worry a lot about them being on all the time, and, of course, there are concerns about that, and we talk about that in the book and setting limits and boundaries and that kind of stuff in the own world, and you can be bullied in your own bedroom. At the same time, they might finding people that they connect with that they can't find in their immediate area. But it's also, I think, about the search for identity, right? So, you know, this generation say we don't like this and they'll come home and say, oh, so-and-so came home as, you know, out as bi today or, you know, and, and pan or, or something that they don't even quite understand what they're saying now because when we search for identity, searching in a way for definitions and labels that give us identity. So I think there's a lot of that going on at the same time and that's okay because that's what you're meant to do when you're a teenager. Absolutely. And the other aspect of sex, which is a very live issue in our family as well, is this the perniciousness of the pornography aspects of life and not just kids under the blanket with the, the laptop looking at things that we'd rather they weren't, but even within the classroom, in the maths lesson, that there's somebody in, yeah. in the classroom who's got their VPN, skirting yeah. around the whole school's technology issues. Hopefully I'm not terrifying parents who aren't here yet. But, you know, yeah. and, and that and, and well, redefining yeah. sexuality not necessarily in a very good way for a whole generation as well. So there's this sort of two aspects to that, isn't there? Yeah, yeah, and we do do X for X right in here. The porn thing is is really scary, especially because they say, you know, your first sort of glimpse of, of sexual experience imprints on you very powerfully and if they're really young it can actually imprint on them very powerfully and be destructive and yeah they can be sitting in a maths room and someone texts a picture of something that is pornographic and you know a lot of kids are seeing this we've got the figures in it's unavoidable it's about conversations you have with your child about what they're seeing and how and what kind of sex that is and it's really important to have these conversations because they need to know that just because a girl in a video likes that sort of sexual act doesn't mean that their girlfriend may for instance and it's I think it's I think in a, in a way it can be I you know whole porn conversation I don't want to get into now it can be destructive especially mm -hmm. when it's too young and too much and, you know, it's, it's definitely concerning and it's all about having conversations about that, which are really hard and really embarrassing and really awkward and really weird. And that's the other reason Cathy got a dog is because sometimes when you've got a teenager, those face-to-face -face conversations are really tricky to have and it's good to have them when you're doing driving lessons or, you know, you're walking around the block with them because these are tricky. These are in-depth, powerful conversations 
and you've got to have them, unfortunately. Sorry, parents, it's scary, but you do. And the other thing that concerns me about it too is that how it feeds into body image, which is another big teenage you know, kind of hurdle, if you like, is, is them, you know, exploring what they how they feel about their bodies, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And body image, you know, like with the, the eating disorders, we've just had eating disorders, they're in our generation as well. But what interesting is now wrong is that boys are getting them as well. Yes. They either want to have the uber groovy, skinny kind of rock and roll aesthetic or bigorexia where they're pumping iron, pumping and taking up, up supplements and this kind of stuff. So they're now being sucked into that vortex as well. And that's a, you know, and there's also this sort of healthy eating TikTok girls who eats 59 bananas a day and sort of this healthy eating drip stuff as an eating disorder as well. You've really got to keep an eye on this and what they're thinking about food and how they're behaving around food. Mm-hmm. How's your body image, Kath? Where's your dog? Did you muzzle her? <laughs> My dog has been put into the kitchen and the door has been shut <laughs> behind her so she can... <laughs> Have a little bit of a think about it. Yeah. Parents still <laughs> worry. <laughs> parents still worry a lot about drugs and the drug scene, and we're obviously seeing stuff on TV these days with around pill testing, around you know body searching teens as they go to concerts, and the other area is vaping. I mean, the, it's changed in one sense, hasn't it? You know, I mean, kids kids generally don't smoke cigarettes so much anymore. They lower on some of the drugs that used to be the concerns of our parents' generation. Um, what's, what are you seeing as active teen parenting in, in terms of drugs these days? Active teen parenting? Yes, You're active teen parenting, aren't you? <laughs> so I Do you want me to answer? For a little bit, for, for one Yeah, thing. you answer that while I think about it. I mean, you've, you've got some actual stats on on drugs and so forth. And I, I, a lot of these, a lot of these topics, I feel like I sort of skirt at the side, or, or we were incredibly lucky because we did get into those things. But, but as far as the drugs and the alcohol stuff went, we we always knew, or we always, you know, as a as a the result of our own um, childhoods uh, and, and upbringing, uh, to, we, we understood that, that the, the total prohibition, you know, the, 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 you, you cannot touch this, you are not allowed to do that. that, that often provokes the backlash and that being totally prohibitive about things, especially when your own behaviour models an opposite, you know, when you've got parents who... Who hit the grog, you know, frequently on a weekend, or you know, have to have to get the taxi home because they've had too much and all the rest. Of it. And they're telling their kids, "Don't you tra- don't you touch it, or you know, there'll be big trouble for you." We kind of think that 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 hypocritical approach is uh, is going to really work because the kids are going to go, "Well, I can see what you're doing, and why should I? Or why yeah. should I listen to what you say?" Yeah. We almost had to come at it from a from another point of view, from the, from the perspective that without having been super moral <laughs> as parents to our kids and having said, you know, when they would say, I'm never going to do that and I'm never going to smoke and I'm never going to you know, drink and they'd be really disapproving, we would have to then, well, I would anyway, say, look, this is what I did when I was a teenager, okay? And and I got <laughs> that. I learned something from it and through it. But it doesn't, you know, if you happen to... Um, uh, slip one day, and and it, it, it happens. And if you happen to to weaken and decide that day that you're going to have some drink, 
don't that that's going to be the end of yeah. life for you. Like you, you know, slip trying into to the vodka fountain. It's not, not the world. Yeah, not the end of the world. So to try and get them to be little, little less judgmental on their peers and a little bit less judgmental on themselves, lest they think that that other black and white thing that that's an all or nothing mm. thing that I've been perfect yeah. up until this point. Now I've had it, now I've got drunk and I'm imperfect and and life is lost to me. Yeah. So, so we should just point out the cartoon for that because it's yes. a good one, right? Because as parents, you know, there's quite a bit of going on at the same time. But there's good news on this. They are drinking later than we did. They are taking less later. They are having sex later. So there is good news on this. They're generally better behaved, quite possibly, than their parents. To to discuss consent for sex anyway, you know, but to work out if anyone's ready to... to Well, some of them, some of them. (laughs) But um, the thing is, I mean, and and it's hard to generalise, right, but on the main, when you look at the statistics, they are drinking later. And the important thing is to delay onset of drinking and drug taking. The longer you delay it onto their brain, body the better in terms of their behavior in terms of the effect on their brain in terms of their chances of addiction and, and going off the rails right you want to it as long as possible because they're going to try stuff but the good news is that that good news is there but of course we live in a drinking um culture i think in australia and that's what people realize and a lot of teenagers pick up on that i've heard kids who are getting who worked in pubs who are like 20 years old 10 20 years old and just got the $750 Centrelink and afford a pallet of beer and are holding up in the house right now, okay? Mm-hmm. This stuff, it's, it's kind of the Australian mentality. There is a binge drinking mentality. And so you need to be aware of that and you need to be, you know, we go into parties. If you're hosting a party, what you need to do, your responsibilities, you can't serve alcohol to kids under 18, you're breaking the law. But you also want to be that sort of parent that is the parent that they're open to, who has the conversations with them. Because if someone does paralytic at a party and passes out and they're too scared to call their parent, right, you want to be the parent that calls. You want to be the parent that goes and you want to be the parent that's not happening because you Mm -hmm. could have these sort of, if you know what's going on, that knowledge is power, I think, in this. And if they call you, you might get vomit in your car, but you know what's going on. You know who's drinking the most. You know who's endangering, you know, the role your child is having at the same time and you want to just make sure that they're safe. So, yeah, that goes back to what Kath was saying before, that hardwired, don't do it kind of thing. You've got to be realistic. It's minimisation. And we turn to the vaping thing, which is concerning as well, right, because they're deliberately marketing some of the vape cherry blossom flavour you know, the teenage girls and stuff, and it's still, it's seen as cool like cigarette smoking was when we were younger. So there's definitely concerns there. They're, they're in their bras. There's all sorts of trick parties, and we go into some of those as well. You might learn something about, you know, why these kids are suddenly in interest of gardening if they come to your house. It's because they've buried vodka bottle the day before, right? <laughs> so there's all sort of, you know, tricks of the trade. But Paul Dillon does see that most of the news is good in terms of the direction going and their attitudes. And I think we're some really good inroads here, but there will be time your child probably gets drunk and tries it. Just try and make it as late as possible. 
I think we've only got time for one more question, sadly. And the last thing, I had more, but I would, would really like to just tackle perhaps lastly, um, and I must say for the sake of our audience that there's a lot of hilarious stuff in your book as well that tempers some of the very serious issues. But the, one of the last serious issues I feel is mental health. Um, the high rates of anxiety of this generation, despite the fact that they're social, more socially connected than we were, but they might also have parents who are hel over helicopter, if you can over helicopter, that are helicoptering them. What are some of the issues that you're exploring in the book around anxiety and other mental health issues? Yeah, look, I think that's that's the big one that a lot of people are really feeling and they have got the highest rates of anxiety we've found in other generations. There's one study in here that says up to 75% or up to 90%, I think it is, of 12 girls are feeling anxious. Imagine what they're feeling now, right? So another year 12 girl because everything is in the open and they don't know what's even going to happen to their end of year exams, stuff like that. There's definitely anxiety here in here and is I don't think there's any one cause. It's true that a lot of people are just saying it's their online world, it's TikToks, all that sort of stuff. I think that there's so much going on, but your parenting definitely influenced. And in a time I think where we're all feeling anxious, you've got to understand that anxiety is a bit is a bit catching. So we've got to try and not let our anxiety project onto theirs. You want to try and map your times when you're feeling stressed and anxious with each other so that you're not all kind of heighten each other's right you all go up in certain times it's definitely a concern and yeah. I think that it's something that you know we have to be very mindful of and I do really think this period will be really interesting because this is an anxious period for everyone and yet my year 12 girls had some moments where she's just right but she's adapting really well She's doing really, really well. I'm incredibly proud of her and I think that there's a lot to learn from them about how they do this. This is showing them the resilience for the important things in life that they really need to learn. Yeah, mm -hmm. and can I add too that the idea that, um, that while you might kind of face this anxiety with your teens and, and be kind of going, well, why is it like this? And it's probably because you're spending too much time on your computer or it's probably because you're not doing, you know, you might be searching for reasons for the anxiety and I think that it can be much more valuable, in fact, to to put that that aside and go, okay, well, we maybe need to take it seriously for the time being, and actually try and find you know, try and help the the kid who's suffering from anxiety. And if that means uh, uh, psychological therapist or something, a counselor. So that they can talk to someone other than you, other than with you, all your perhaps baggage and judgment and, and the relationship you have with kids. Mm. If they can talk about it with the third third party, that's a really good thing. And if they if they can know that they're being taken seriously when they have something like this, that can be immensely helpful as well. That can help help them, uh, you know, help find a way yeah. a way through it. Yeah. Uh, being told that you don't feel the way you feel is is uh, is a fairly futile. Um, Futile thing. Yes. Yeah. You need to hear them out and acknowledge it, and you need to be the ad. You can say, "I I can't solve thing, but you know I'm going to get help. I'm going to find out what we can do to help you." And and there's a lot of you know if pain persists, see a doctor. We're not doctors. We're not psychiatrists. I did psychology at uni, but I think you've got to show them also that when you have a problem, there are people who can help you. So you're modelling that behaviour as well in so many different when you do do that. 
and you're mm. telling them it's okay, it'll be all right, I'm going to help you, we're going to get through this. One last, the very, very last question. Since we don't have an audience, I will get to have one last question and this is one that this is a funny one for us to discuss because it is so true and I'm talking about the teenage bedroom and issues of uh, <laughs> cleanliness, hygiene, privacy. What's your take-home message for those parents who are, who are trying to get those 50 million cups and bowls of congealed wheat mix out of there we know are we setting our own expectations too high here on what we think a teenage bedroom should look like well our, our modeling has been that, that my standards are so low that my children ended up going well I'm, I'm going to be tired than my mother anyway <laughs> one of them one of them, needed, one of them needed to move out of home to be to become the tidy freak uh, another one uh, occasionally goes through a whirlwind of tidying, and, and uh, but but you know, for the re- because he realizes that for his own um, kind of vanity, he needs he needs a, a clear a clear space. Um, but uh, but you know, Sarah's Sarah's got some good uh, some good <laughs> advice on this, on this stuff too. I think. Good yes. Look, you know, it can be. My son had a had a sign on his door saying "Biohazard, do not enter," and I that was perfect for a while. I remember that the bedroom, and oh my gosh, I wish we could have smell vision now. I, we could kind of you know contrast smells of, of of teenage bedrooms with yes, the congealed tea, the lint deodorant. If you've got a boy, um, it's just a cacophony really isn't it but the thing is it is sanctuary and you don't want to violate that unless you're very worried about them. you need to recognize that it can be that and I think and every family but let it be messy to a point as long as it's not a health hazard it is their place but just try and shut the door or hold your breath when you walk past I think you know there's bigger things right there's more important things there's more important things in the bedroom, but if you if you, if it gives you an anxiety attack looking at it, just try not to look at it, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yes, it's a it's a it's a source of great of great um, stress in families. And I do I did hear of a family that the teenage daughter was slamming the door so much they took the door its hinges. It's hardcore. That is very very hardcore because I do think they need to recognise it is their world. It's their sanctuary. It makes them feel safe and happy, and let them express their creativity in it. Make Unless their creativity the is is maggoty sandwiches. What? Make them open the window. Nevertheless, yes. time, time because yes. we need close the door, but open the window. <laughs> yeah. Close the door, open the door. That should be the motto for the bedroom. (laughs) Ladies, we've run out of time. It's been an absolute delight and a steep learning curve for us all today. We're in the new world. Um, It's been a great discussion and I would like to just assure everyone out there watching us that this is a terrific book full of hilarious as well as pertinent uh, tips on parenting, never more so in these fluid times. Um, My name is Meredith Jaffe and on behalf of Newcastle Writers Festival, thank you for joining us Uh, and please join me wherever you are in thanking our guests, Sarah McDonald, there's a teen right now, and Kathy Wilcox. Thank you very much for having us. And don't, you. and don't forget, everyone, that you can follow the link to buy the book from McLean's Bookstore and you can follow the link to donate to Newcastle Writers Festival. Can we have a team in shot? No, they're now they're going to no, go shot like, on it. No, Not when I'm they good. Back off. No. <laughs> Thank you very much, everyone. <laughs> Thank you very much, yeah. everyone. Travel safe. See you now.